0: Well, hello, church. Welcome to OBB Cinemas. I hope you're excited about our new series, Christmas at the Movies. And, uh, and I hope that this season you will be excited about inviting people. This is uh, one of the easiest times of the year to invite people to church. And we have plenty of promotional material for you to do so on social media and, of course, a promotional video that you saw earlier that you can send out. Uh, and, and we're really excited about it. And, and I, know, uh, I, I know at least I am. I hope you are too. And so what we're going to be doing is we're going to be taking a look at uh, very important gospel themes through the lens of our favorite Christmas movies. And so uh, a lot of the sermons probably aren't going to be out of uh, the first and second chapter of Matthew and Luke, as you're used to during this season. But we're able to see uh, what the message that God wants to speak to us in this Christmas season Uh, through the lens of those favorite movies. And of course, this week is A Christmas Carol. So how many of you have ever seen anything about A Christmas Carol with Ebenezer Scrooge? Just about everybody. Ish hasn't seen it. He didn't raise his hand. You're missing out, Ish. Come on, man. And and so uh, it's a great movie. And if you haven't seen it, I'm sorry, I'm about to spoil it for you. But it's been out. uh, That one's been out for almost nine years. And there's also been some rendition out for the past 40 years, so if you missed it, I don't feel bad for you. But I'll explain it to you. And uh, And this week, we're kicking off the series with week one, When Sinners Meet Jesus. So our next slide up, When Sinners Meet Jesus. And we'll be in Luke chapter 19 if you want to go ahead and turn there. And I will explain a little bit about the story of Scrooge to you while you get there in your Bibles. So, Ebenezer Scrooge, what do you guys know about him? He's selfish. He's very tight with money, right? Very tight with money. And and why was he tight with money? Because he grew up poor. Yeah, he grew up poor, and so he made a vow that he wasn't ever going to do that again. And so he was very, very tight with money. Would you say that Ebenezer Scrooge was a sympathetic person? No, he was not at all. As a matter of fact, there were a lot of people that, that came to him, and, and, and he loaned them money, and when it came due, it was due, and there was no way out of it. There was no sympathy. Also, he hates Christmas, right? There are, are two names, uh, interestingly enough, two characters played by Jim Carrey that hate Christmas, Scrooge and the Grinch. And it's, it's no uh, secret that when we call someone a Scrooge, we immediately know what they mean. They, they don't like Christmas, right? There's, there's no context. His name carries that much of weight. As a matter of fact, when Charles Dickens wrote A Christmas Carol, he, he really defined Christmas for our world today. A lot of Christmas traditions didn't happen the way they happened until he wrote that. Uh, There's even one biopic that that describes Charles Dickens as the author of Christmas. Of course, we know that God is the author of the true Christmas, the the celebration of the birth of Christ. And we know that Jesus probably wasn't born on December 5th, very highly unlikely that he was, probably more likely the springtime. Uh, But... Charles Dickens kind of made it to where we, we attached winter. Of course, you know, the, the church kind of took over Christmas and kind of made it their own thing. But uh, Charles Dickens really took those winter themes and, and really built them up. And so uh, a lot of people consider him the, the author of the, uh, of the modern Christmas. And so uh, when we call someone a Scrooge, that's someone who, who hates Christmas. And the other thing is, did anybody at the beginning of the story, did anybody like Scrooge? No. Everybody disliked him. Why? Because he was a jerk, right? He was not very nice. The only person that I can see in the entire story that maybe liked Scrooge a little bit, maybe held out a little bit of hope, was his nephew, Freddy, right? Freddy is able to talk about Scrooge and says, you know, let's pray for him. Let's, Let's remember him. Let's drink to his honor. And they all make fun of him and they end up making fun of Scrooge, even Freddy. But he's the only one that I see that, that, that really doesn't give up uh, on Scrooge. But everybody else just knows that, that he's a terrible person. Nobody likes him because they know his reputation. And, of course, Scrooge is visited by four ghosts. Uh, we, we talk about three very much, but it's actually four. The first one was his old business partner, Bob Cratchit, right? And he had been dead for many, many years, and he he shows up with uh, attached to money boxes and these big, long chains, and he explains to Scrooge that these chains are essentially his sin, that he knit together link by link, chain by chain, with the evil things that he had done in this life with his greed. And then he explains to Ebenezer a warning that he shouldn't do the same because his chains will be much longer than Bob Marley's. And so he gives them this, this warning, and then he warns them that there will be three ghosts that will visit him throughout the night. You know, and Scrooge kind of takes it, oh, it's nothing, it's nothing, just, I, I must have ate something that upset my stomach, and, and, and it's just my head playing games with me, nothing's going to happen until it does. He's then visited by the ghost of Christmas past, and the ghost of Christmas past takes him back to when he was a schoolboy, Right? And takes him back to the classroom. And then it fast forwards a little bit to where he goes to a party of his old boss, Mr. Fezziwig. Now I have to pause. And I have to pause because it's Pastor Wayne's fault. About a, uh, a month ago, Pastor Wayne talked about the importance of inviting people to God's party. And he challenged all of us with getting involved with a group that you're either A, uncomfortable with, or a group of people that you are not normally around, a new area in your life. And, and I thought it uh, to not be very good if the pastors didn't take that advice. And so I I searched around, and I actually found a group that uh, I I would say I probably was somewhat comfortable with, but that I didn't know, and I auditioned for Scrooge the Musical at the Colonial Theater. And guess what? You're looking at (laughs) Fizzywig. Check it out. So, you will see over the next few weeks, my facial hair will change, and I'll look a little bit different. Uh, I've got two weekends of the production, and it has been a blast. It's been very tough, lots of singing. Uh, I've definitely looked the part so far, uh, especially after eating Thanksgiving dinner. But I'm very excited about it, and and it's so neat that I I planned this message before I had any clue that was happening. Isn't it funny how God works together? And as a matter of fact, I've invited the entire cast to church here today. If you remember, we talked about filling these pews not just because, but because we want people to hear about Jesus. And through my connections with the theater, I've been able to talk to people about Jesus. And the fact that we're doing a Christmas play, Christmas musical, makes it really easy. And, and I didn't show up and tell everybody, hi, everybody, I'm a pastor, I'm the pastor at Olive Branch, nice to meet you. I didn't say a word. I just waited. I just showed up, I did my lines, I sang my parts, and waited for people to talk to me. And they found out that I was a Christian. They found out I was a pastor. They found out I, I'm here on Olive Branch. And, and so I invited them here today, and if they're here now or will be here in the late service, I, I encourage you to make them feel very welcome, as along with any other visitors that we have. And so this season, I encourage you, with that again, invite. And, and don't take what Pastor Wayne and I say simply because we said it, but follow us because we're setting an example that Jesus himself Set so invite people to hear the story of Christmas. So he's at Fezziwig's warehouse and they have a big party and Scrooge decides not to dance and then he finally gets to dance with the pretty girl Bell. Right, he gets to dance with Bella and and but it doesn't work out between them and he's very sour about that and because of that his favorite memory of Christmas becomes the reason he hates Christmas. So all these terrible things happen. His sister passes away and leaves behind his nephew, and he's not very fond of Christmas. Then it forwards up, and the ghost of Christmas what shows up? Present, right? And the ghost of Christmas present is kind of like Father Christmas, right? He's a little bit like Santa Claus if Santa Claus was a jerk, right? He is not very easy with Scrooge. He messes with him quite a bit and makes lots and lots of fun at his expense. And so they go visit two main places. They visit the Cratchits, right? And he sees how poor and desolate they are, and they've got such a large family. And, you know, that was the one family in the entire story that Charles Dickens wrote because he kind of came from that situation. The Cratchits were a representation of, of his family because he grew up poor, and his father was locked up in jail because he owed a great debt. And so he had to provide uh, for his family at only uh, 10 years old. And they were very, very poor and didn't have a whole lot, especially around the Christmas season. You see, there were no child labor laws and kids had to work, you know. So the only time they got to do school was in the evening. They would work from early in the morning till the evening, then go to school and come home. And there was almost no time to do anything, even eat. And so he wrote the Cratchits from his perspective And Scrooge is seeing them and seeing, not everybody has a great time at Christmas. You know, and it's no, uh, there's a huge correlation with the fact that Christmas, this holiday season has a, a huge spike in suicide rates. It's a great time for a lot of us and we love to celebrate Christ, but a lot of times when we don't have anybody to celebrate with, it makes it hard. Or when we lose a loved one, makes it even more difficult when the holidays come around, especially if it's the first year that they've been gone. You know, my sister passed away on December 18th, one week before Christmas. So Christmas was the exact week after she had passed. So that was a very rough time to plan a funeral and to preach it and, 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 and to, to try to have Christmas. and it's a very difficult time. And I talked to someone who, uh, over Thanksgiving, who lost their uh, grandfather on Christmas Day. You know, it can be hard. Not, Christmas isn't easy for everybody. Everybody's stressed all about different things, but sometimes it, it, it can be difficult, and, and we lose sight of that. And Scrooge didn't really know what was going on with the Cratchits. And then the ghost of Christmas present takes him to his nephew Freddy's house, right? And he kind of gets excited because Freddie's kind of talking him up a little bit. But then he realizes he's just making fun of him. They sing songs about how bad Scrooge is. They, uh, there, there's actually one song in, in the musical called Thank You Very Much, And one of the lines is, thank you very much. That's the nicest thing that anyone's ever done for me. You know what they're saying thank you about? The fact that Scrooge is dead. They're so thankful that he's dead and gone. That's how much they can't stand this guy. So they're making fun of him. And then he gets slammed into the ghost of Christmas yet to come. And there's a grave. And he's begging with the Spirit to know who this is. And the name appears on the grave, Ebenezer Scrooge, December 25th. And he begs and he pleads and he says, please, if there's anything I do, I will change my ways. Is there any way for me to change this fate? But then Scrooge wakes up. And guess what? Scrooge changes his ways immediately. He's just excited to be alive. You know, there's this viral video going around from a church in North Carolina where the dad wakes up and he's like covered in wrapping paper. And all of his everyday stuff is covered in wrapping paper. And he opens it. It's not presents, it's just the blessings that he has every day. And it's really meant to provoke the thought that we are blessed with so much already. And you know, Scrooge is just so excited to be alive. And he, he, he's excited about changing his ways. And so he does. And in this final scene that we saw, Scrooge is Mary. And he, he shows the fruit of being jolly by mending relations with his nephew He raises Bob's salary. He even has a little joke with him and tries to make him think, oh, I'm going to make him think I'm mad. And then he not only does that, but he also provides for Christmas. He gets the biggest cooked goose. He he throws a big party at the Cratchits and makes sure everybody is well fed. Eventually makes sure that tiny Tim is taken care of and gets the medicine that he needs. And it's so funny because at the end of every rendition of, of the story of Ebenezer Scrooge of A Christmas Carol... People are so skeptical when Scrooge comes up to them. When they, He comes by the carolers, and he's, he's all mean, and then he starts dancing and being fun and just playing with them. They're like, who in the world is this? And, and even the Cratchits are confused as to what happened to him. People are skeptical because it was such a radical change. And I think it's, it's so interesting because they accept it even though they're skeptical at first. And so there's a similar story in Scripture. It doesn't match up exactly, but I think we can kind of compare the two to understand the gospel message. So if you are in Luke chapter 19, we're going to be starting in verse 1, and it'll be up on the screen for you. And here's what it says. He went into Jericho and was passing through. There was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. So we know and you've probably heard it in a lot of sermons, tax collectors were not very liked. A lot of you today, including myself, do not like the IRS as it is. These tax collectors were way, way, way worse. They were crooked. They were known for being crooked. They were very much hated among everyone, especially the Jewish community, because they felt like they were being picked on. So nobody really liked Zacchaeus at all. Scrooge... While not a tax collector, he he was kind of more of a loan officer, right? He'd lend you money and charge you really, really high interest rates of people who didn't really have the money to pay back, and then he had no sympathy for them, whatever their financial situation, if they needed an extra few days or whatever. See, neither one of these men were liked very much at all. Verse 3 says, he, which is Zacchaeus, was trying to see who Jesus was, but he was not able to because of the crowd, since he was a short man. So running ahead, he climbed up a sycamore tree to see Jesus since he was about to pass that way. Now I'm going to do my best to not look at anywhere in the room even though I know who's going to say yes. Is there anybody in the room who's ever been embarrassed by being way too short? Okay, I I was not going to look over there, but I know who's sitting over there, right? Zacchaeus was a short guy, and I didn't really grow up in church and learn all the songs, so I don't know, it. but you guys probably know that song about Zacchaeus, right? Zacchaeus was a... Help me out, Catherine. Little man and a Yeah, yeah. See, I don't know. I didn't learn all that. I didn't learn Father Abraham until I was 16. All right. So so Zacchaeus was a short guy, and he was probably very embarrassed by his height. But this is what impresses me about Zacchaeus. Because I know I, I know my short ladies over here. I love you very much. But when you have to get something off the top shelf, right, and you're like, hey, can someone help me out here? Right? That's not very fun. Or like when you're standing next to your friends who are this tall taking pictures and you have to like stand up on the ledge to get in the picture, right? That's kind of embarrassing, right? So I want you to imagine that there's a crowd of people. The, the parade is coming up next Sunday, right? The, the Christmas parade. I want you to imagine you're so short you can't see, so you have to like climb on top of a car to see. That's probably pretty embarrassing, right? I have to imagine that Zacchaeus was pretty embarrassed being a short man but he doesn't let it get in the way. He doesn't care about the embarrassment. People hate him anyways. So he climbs up a tree, this tax collector, this man who's very rich, climbs up a tree just to see Jesus. He doesn't let anything get in the way, not even his embarrassment. And I think that is a testimony to how impactful Jesus' ministry was in the world. That even this man that everybody hated, who would probably be embarrassed by the action he was about to take, would not let that get in the way so he could see just who this Jesus guy was. Verse 5 says, When Jesus came to that place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down because today it is necessary for me to stay at your house. Jesus knew what was up. Literally, it was Zacchaeus. That was a little funnier than y'all gave me. Come on. (laughs) Zacchaeus was in the tree. Come on. Jesus knew what was up, and this story reminds me way, way, way back in the first or second chapter of John, I actually think it's the first chapter, about a man named Nathanael, right? And Nathanael was sitting under a what? Fig tree. And he came out, and Jesus says, I know who you are. I saw you sitting under the fig tree. And Nathaniel was like, oh, what? How? That's wild. And he was like, really? You think that's pretty crazy? I saw you under a tree. And see, he gets this idea, this, this very brief glimpse of Jesus' omniscience. And he's so excited about it. And, and Jesus says, if you think that's impressive, just wait. I'm just getting started. And so I think Jesus used this same type of omniscience here with Zacchaeus. He says, Zacchaeus, I know what's going on with you. I, know I have to stay at your house today. Now, now why? <laughs> why Zacchaeus? Well, we're going to find out why. In verse 6, it says this about Zius, Zacchaeus. So he came down quickly and welcomed him. What does that word say? Joyfully. Underline that in your Bible, circle it, highlight it, write it down in your and Joyfully, that is so important that Zacchaeus was joyful. Can you, be, can you imagine being in a situation where everybody absolutely hates you, no exception? There's no discrimination. Everybody hates you. I mean everybody. That's not a fun situation to be in. And so when one person, this this important person, Zacchaeus didn't really know who Jesus was. That's why he was trying to get a glance at him. And I don't think, you know, Jesus walked through this crowd just like, you're healed, and I'm going to make a bunch of fish, multiply, and, you know, he didn't walk down doing all these miracles. Zacchaeus just saw him. And Jesus didn't look any different than any other Jews. And we know that because when Jesus is in the last final moments of his life, when he's at the garden, Judas has to identify him with a kiss to the Romans, right? Now, why would he have to do that? Jesus has been all over the place preaching and teaching. Wouldn't the Romans know what he looked like if he was this man of big stature, big, tall, white man with long hair and a straight beard? No, that's not what he looked like. He looked like just every other Jew. So there was nothing physically magnificent about him, but Zacchaeus just has heard about how great this guy is, and he says, Zacchaeus, come down, I have to stay at your house. For someone who is absolutely hated by everybody, no exception, that's got to feel pretty exciting. That's got to cause some joy. You know, Scrooge was invited a lot, invited to, to do a lot of things. He's invited to Freddie's party. He declined. He hates Christmas. Even Bob Cratchit tried to invite him. And Scrooge replied with that, you know, simply taking a day off for Cratchit, that, that's just a poor excuse to pick a man's pockets every 25th of December. He's even invited to help out an offering to help children who are orphaned. And he says, Are there no prisons or workhouses? I pay my taxes. So I fund those programs. Those people can go there if they want to. And the men who are collecting the donations say, well, many would rather die than go to those places. What is Scrooge's response? Then they should just die. Decrease the surplus population. You know, I I think it's such a difference here. Scrooge, when he changes, gets excited to be invited to something. He kind of invites himself. But he wasn't that way before. And I can imagine Zacchaeus probably wouldn't have accepted many invitations to come to someone's house because he probably thought they were going to beat him up. But this Jesus guy, he gets excited, joyful about it. Verse 7, it says, all who saw it began to complain. He's gone to stay with a sinful man. I've been struggling with this one for a long time because when you do what we've been challenged to do this year, when you invite people to church, when when you go out and be around sinners, people are gonna complain. You know what? Church people are gonna complain. Uh-oh. Stepping on the toes and he's got toe shoes. That feels weird. <laughs> church people are gonna complain. Well, I saw so and so, and at the grocery store, they were talking to that guy, and I know that guy, and that's, I can't believe they're 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 having a relationship with them. That's weird that they're connecting with that person. Well, I don't know. I, I saw that 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 handsome associate pastor hanging out with those uh, drunk rugby guys. I don't really like that very much. You know, thankfully, that's never happened here, but this isn't the only church I've been at. And I can assure you, I've gotten funny looks when I've told people, what were you doing last night? Oh, I was driving a bunch of drunk rugby players home so that they wouldn't get in a DUI and cause an accident. You were hanging out with alcoholics? Y- yeah, I was. wasn't participating, but I was spending time around them. Well, don't you know that person? That person's not very uh, uh, Christ-like. Well, yeah, they're, they're not Christians. Of course they're not Christ-like. They're lost. They're going to act lost. We as the church really need to wake up and realize that lost people aren't going to act saved, even around us. As a matter of fact, I would really appreciate it if people that are lost and that don't know Christ stopped pretending to be you know, somebody that they're not when they're around me. That's why I don't tell a lot of people that I'm a pastor. Because they say, oh, I, slip up. Oh, I said a curse word, oh, I'm sorry. Don't be sorry. That's who you are. You know, many of you know my neighbor, and I love him to death, and I'm not going to talk his name. I'm going to say who it is. I'm not going to say which neighbor it is. But his language isn't always right. And he started apologizing. I said, don't apologize. Just be yourself, man. And I got that at, at, at rehearsal. It was so funny, like as soon as people, they, they were making jokes because, you know, we've got to be at a Christmas party, Fezziwig's Christmas party, and everybody's a little tipsy in the scene and all this kind of stuff. So they're joking about partying and all this kind of stuff. A week later they find out, I'm a pastor, and they're like, stop making those jokes. I just noticed how quickly it changed. And see, we church people are, are so impulsive to make sure somebody suppresses the way that they are, and I think that's ridiculous. I'm not saying they should be that way they shouldn't but why would they act that way if they don't have Christ in their life? So we have to be understanding of that, and we may have to reach people that Jesus has called us to reach, even if church people don't like it. We may have to reach the alcoholics, the drug addicts, people who have bad language, homosexuals, transgender people, Democrats, (laughs) Republicans, Libertarians too, I suppose. Well, what are you doing hanging out with him? Don't you know what they believe? Yeah, I do. That's why I'm hanging out with him, trying to help them out. And see, these Pharisees didn't like that Jesus was hanging out with a tax collector, with a sinner, and many times they didn't like this. But this is way later on in his ministry. I figured they would have picked it up by now. He's gone to stay with a sinful man. You guys have heard the phrase in church, hate the sin and love the sinner, right? That's not new. Nobody came here today and heard that for the first time. I don't have a problem with that. That phrase is very, very true. But I have a problem with what it makes Christians do when they take it out of context. You see, they, they hear hate the sin, but love the sinner. And what they do is they say they love the sinner, but they use every opportunity to point out their sin. I love you, but you've got to cut that out. I love you, but you know you're doing this. I love you, but I love you, but I love you, but I love you should not have a but on the end of it. Jesus said, love your neighbor, not love your neighbor, but. Now, I'm not saying we condone their sin. But it doesn't mean every time we come to them, we have to explain their sin to them. They know. As a matter of fact, i found the more I keep my mouth shut about what they're doing, and the more they get to know me personally, the more I build a relationship. Imagine that. Jesus, who spent his entire life building relationships, might want us to do the same. The more I build a relationship with that person, I realize that they'll start confessing their own sin without me saying anything. They'll start saying, yeah, I know I should probably use you know, less bad language, and I'll say, well, you're not wrong. But if I come to him every time and say, you know that word you say, I don't really like that. Can you stop that? That's not going to get them anywhere. So do your job of being present in their life and being an example, and yes, preaching the gospel to them. But a great phrase, and it's debated by who actually said it first, but preach the gospel always. Use words only if necessary. Preach the gospel by being being an example in their lives. And you'll be surprised what the Holy Spirit can do. Now, I'm not saying use the Holy Spirit as an excuse to not do anything, but you'd be surprised what the Holy Spirit can do if you stop trying to do his job and just do yours. Verse 8, it says, but Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, look, I'll give half of my possessions to the poor, Lord, and if I've extorted anything from anyone, I'll pay back four times as much. Verse 9, today salvation has come to this house, Jesus told him, because he too is a son of Abraham. And this is important, folks. Verse 10, for the son of man has come to seek and to save the lost. Jesus didn't come to build a kingdom that would be a sanctuary for saints. He came to open up a hospital for sinners. Jesus came to love and seek the lost. And yes, those who uh, were the first fruits, he wanted to reach them too. That's why in the book of Acts there was so much emphasis on going to the Jews first. Everywhere they went, they started with the synagogues. But then the synagogues stopped listening, so they went straight to the Gentiles. And Jesus opens up the gospel to everyone. And what I think is so neat here is that Zacchaeus isn't prompted to do anything that he says he will do. It's a response. Jesus is talking and, and Zac- it's going back and forth and these Pharisees start murmuring. And as they start murmuring, Jesus doesn't say anything, but Zacchaeus speaks up and says, you know what? If I- and it's so funny because like I said, there's no example of Jesus doing something miraculous here. I have no clue why Zacchaeus is just so enamored with Jesus that he's immediately saying, I'll give half my possessions to the poor. And if I've extorted anything, I'll pay back four times as much. Nothing Jesus had prompted him to do that. He knew that one person loved on him, and that was enough to make him change. Imagine what can happen if you're that one person this Christmas season. One person loved on him. And what Zacchaeus does here is extremely difficult. If you want proof, grab your Bible and flip back one page. Go back to chapter 18. It'll be on the screen if you need it. In verse 18, it says this, a ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And he says, why do you call me good? Jesus asked him, no one is good except God alone. And this passage is very debated about kind of what Jesus is saying here, and, and the more I've studied, the more I've seen Jesus is almost being sarcastic from what I see. The, the person is saying, why are you being why, you know good teacher? And he probably has ill motives as to why he's saying that. And Jesus says, "Well, I thought only God was good. So if you're calling me good, that means you're calling me God, but do you really believe that? Because the Pharisees were ready to pick up rocks and stone him if they were calling him, if he was comparing himself to God, saying he was God. So that's kind of what I've landed on there. But he says this in verse 20. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. In verse 21, I have kept all these from my youth, the man said. But when Jesus heard this, he told them, you still lack one thing. Sell all you have and distribute it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. After he said this, he was extremely sad because the man was very rich. Seeing that he became sad, Jesus said, how hard is it for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God? For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard this asked, then who can be saved? And Jesus replied, what is impossible with man is possible with God. And then Peter said, look, we have left what we have and followed you. So he said to them, truly I tell you, there's no one who has left a house, wife, brothers, sisters, parents, or children because of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more at this time and eternal life in the age to come. It's no coincidences that these stories are not that far apart. I think it is so important of what Zacchaeus does here. Now, Jesus says that this man lacks one thing. I don't think that that one thing is to sell all your possessions and give to the poor. That's what he told him to do, but I don't think that's what he was lacking. What he was lacking was the faith that would give him the willingness to do it. Now, I don't know if the man said, I would give all my possessions, sell to the poor, if the man would have done it or not, and what that would have mattered, but the man was not willing to give it up. You know, we just talked about an entire series on the different types of giving giving of our talents, giving of our, uh, of our abilities, giving of our praise to God, giving of our finances, giving of all so many things, and too often we're not willing to give sacrificially. And it's not that God wants us to be absolutely broke and have nothing to our name, but He wants us to be willing to. And this is what I love about Zacchaeus. He does what he says he's going to do. A lot of people say, well, we're not really sure, but I think Zacchaeus did it. I think he did what he said he was going to do, gave half his possessions to the poor, paid back four times what he owed. But we know that this other rich man, he didn't. He was sad. He walked away. And Zacchaeus had that same choice. This rich man did not follow Jesus because he didn't give all his possessions to the poor, simply because he was unwilling to. And this, I know this kind of sounds like, wait a minute, but Zacchaeus said half his possessions to the poor. That's not as much as everything. Hold on. Zacchaeus said he would give half his possessions to the poor and then pay back four times what he extorted from anyone. If he gave all his possessions to the poor, how would he give anything back to the people he extorted? I think with a little bit of looking here, you can see that Zacchaeus was offering everything. Why? Because one person loved him when everybody hated him. He was willing to give everything. And here is the point. And the bulletin spoiled a little bit, but that's okay. When sinners meet Jesus, up on the screen, everything changes. If you are a person who has sinned, you're a sinner, you're born a sinner, and you come to Christ, you cannot stay the same. Just like Scrooge when he finally found out that he wasn't going to die, that he was going to live. Zacchaeus, just because one person loved him, was willing to give everything away. And he gave all that away for eternal life. Here's the three things I want you to take away going into this Christmas season. These apply all year, but I want you to really take them to heart these next couple weeks. One, don't let anything lead you to believe that anyone is too far gone. I know it can feel that way, and I would be lying if I say there weren't people in my life that I thought are just too far gone. There's no way, no one's ever going to lead them to Christ. They're just going to suffer. Don't ever believe that. A man like Ebenezer Scrooge can turn around. If a man like Zacchaeus can turn around. If a man like the Apostle Paul can turn his life around, no one is too far gone. Don't give up. Especially family members. And this Christmas season, it can be really, really hard to deal with family members, especially ones we don't like that much. They're not too far gone. They're not out of God's forgiveness. They're not out of your forgiveness if you're a follower of Christ. Don't believe anyone's too far gone. Remember, what is impossible with man is possible with who? God. Number two, don't let anything stop you from reaching the people that God has called you to reach. God says reach that person. Don't let embarrassment get in the way. Don't let what other church people might think about you get in the way. Don't let yourself get in the way. Don't let your time constraints get in the way. If God is calling you to reach a person, you be obedient and reach that person. Especially during Christmas when it's really hard. We've got so much going on, shopping to do, and Christmas things to do, and, and we see a person that uh, well, I probably should witness to him, but I don't really have time. No, 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 no. Take the time, sacrifice, and make sure that person has the opportunity to follow Jesus. And number three, don't let anything get in the way of you and Jesus. If you're able to trade in your sorrows of this world for the joy of the Lord, then don't let anything get in the way. If you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Christ, as we get ready for our invitation, I want you to be prompted to not let anything stop you. Don't let your past stop you. Don't let your sin stop you. Don't let Satan stop you. Don't let the person blocking the edge of the aisle stop you. Don't let the embarrassment of walking down an aisle stop you. Don't let anything get in the way between you and Jesus because he's the one person that will always love you and that will never give up on you. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this time that we have together this morning. And Father, I pray that As we have this invitation, if there are people who need to make a commitment to you, Father, whether it's someone that they haven't been reaching and, God, they know they should be and they've been disobedient in some way, or, God, maybe there is someone here who's come here for the first time or they've been here for a while, and, God, they may do the Christian things or they may talk the Christian talk, but, God, when it comes down to it, they're not truly following you and they're not willing to give everything up for you. God, I pray that they would be willing to do that this morning and they wouldn't let anything get in the way, not even embarrassment, not even uh, the pews, not even whatever feeling they have. God, we have all sinned and fallen short of your glory. But the good news is that though the wages of sin is death, the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. And God, we pray that today. We claim that in your name. And Father, I pray that you would open up our hearts and minds to be receptive to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Church, would you stand and sing this last song with us? And if you have something you need to respond to, I'll be here. Uh, Pastor Wayne will be up here. Grab a deacon, grab somebody. Pray with them. Make whatever commitment you need to make this morning.